Well, good morning once again. <clears throat> uh, I trust that what we just sang uh, comes from deep within our hearts. I, I hope and trust that each one of us are gathered here this morning uh, for one reason and one reason alone. That's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the one and only name under heaven by which all men must be saved. Uh, the only name in which salvation is found, the only name in which hope is found, forgiveness is found. If, if there's anything other than Christ that's drawing you to church, that needs to be replaced, doesn't it? Uh, Christ and Christ alone is our boast, it's our cry, it's why we're here. Uh, he is our life, our all, our everything. Uh, so what a joy to be gathered in his name, uh, with his people, uh, looking at his word and to exalt him together. Uh, a few announcements as we uh, move along in our worship service. Uh, the first one being, uh, we're talking about being in Christ. And so the first announcement that kind of ties in with that idea is membership, church membership. Uh, that's a crucial part in your walk with Christ. Uh, if you belong to Christ, you belong to his people. And church membership is a way to put that into practice. Uh, and so today we have our Membership Matters class that's immediately following the service. Uh, we have a number of people signed up for that, for which we're very, very thankful. Uh, and by attending this class, remember, it doesn't mean that you, you have to join or that we're going like, to make you write your name out in blood or something like that. Uh, but it's, it's a time to come and learn what does it mean to be a part of Orangeville Baptist Church? How can I be involved at Orangeville Baptist Church? Uh, so that's today, immediately following the service. Uh, lunch will be provided. Uh, and as I've been, been announcing, that will be about a, a two and a half to three hour long class. Uh, so looking forward to that today. Uh, also, next Saturday uh, will be the memorial service for Tim Woolheis. Uh, that's at 10 o'clock this upcoming Saturday. Uh, just ask that you'll come out to that and be an encouragement to Sue and her family and, and weep with her, rejoice with her, and encourage one another, point one another to Christ. Uh, and we'll, we'll plan on that for that day, 10 a.m. this upcoming Sunday. Uh, Tim Mulheis Memorial Service. Next Sunday, well, I can back up actually. L last Sunday, we ended the, the service with the time with the community, community leaders. And I just want to thank you all for who were able to stay. I know that made for a long Sunday. Uh, we were here for probably two, two and a half hours after the church service. Uh, we heard from nine different community leaders on ways that uh, help is needed in our community, ways to love our community. And so the plan is, having heard all of that, hopefully by now you're, you're, you're kind of starting to simmer with thoughts and ideas, and your groups have been meeting, talking about these things. And so next Sunday, uh, immediately following the service, we're asking that you, you plan on staying a little bit longer again, and we're going to have a brainstorming session. It's a time to kind of put together a bunch of thoughts and ideas. Uh, remember, we've been going through that book, Loving Our Community, uh, and I've been saying over and over, by now I feel like a broken record, uh, but this, I don't want us to just read that book and then put it on the shelf. I want it to, to lead to action, uh, to lead to having a salt and light influence for the glory of Christ within our community. And so next Sunday is, is a pivotal moment for that. We're going to just kind of brainstorm together, see where the Lord leads. So please plan on that uh, following the service next Sunday. Then the 23rd, uh, so a couple weeks out from today, uh, the 23rd, we're planning another outdoor service. 
uh, that went well last time. We had a few people from the community actually who came out to that. Uh, it's just the weather has been amazing for it. Uh, so we're going to plan on that again for August 23rd, outdoor service. And just like, just like before, we'll be over there. Let's bring your own chair, uh, bring your own lunch, uh, bring your own Bible, <laughs> uh, bring, bring, bring yourself uh, and come, come and worship with us that Sunday. That, that's August 23rd. And then I just have two more announcements. And then there's a couple more, one from Josiah and one from Renee. Uh, but September 26th, I know it's a little ways out, but I want it to be on our radar. Uh, September 26th, we are planning a marriage retreat here at the church. Uh, that's going to be headed up or led by Ron and Sherry Alchin. They're with the Biblical Counseling Center in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Ron and Sherry Alchin have been counseling for probably 50 years. Uh, and their son, Tim, told me that between the two of them, they probably have 100,000 counseling hours. That's a lot. Uh, and they're going to be here September 26th. We're going to have a, a marriage retreat day. Uh, it's just going to be the whole day. Uh, and we're going to cover topics like conflict. Do you ever have a conflict in your marriage? <laughs> uh, never, right? And then communication, and then cultivating romance. Uh, so those three things will be talked about on Saturday. There'll be a, a catered meal, uh, and just a, a fun day, a great day to hopefully grow your marriage. So that's September 26th. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and there'll be sign-ups for that coming shortly. But I just wanted that to be on your radar. And then in, in October, uh, hopefully we're starting to remember that October is about missions. Uh, October is for missions here at, at Orangeville Baptist Church. We're going to make that just a big missions, missions emphasis. We have a number of missionaries uh, coming in. And also a few of them at this point signed up to do it live stream uh, from all around the world. Uh, so looking forward to October. We're also looking to launch... Sunday school in October. And so that will mean a slight time change. Uh, Sunday school will be at 9.30 and go to 10.15. That means the morning service will start at 10.30. Okay? So that's a little bit of a time change. We're trying to adjust for some of these things. But that will be in October. And for Sunday school that month, it's just going to be one big class where everyone's coming in and listening to the presentation from the missionary. So no children's classes at that point, uh, but then we'll, we'll be merging everyone in here for one big class. Then we'll have the morning worship service. And I want to end each Sunday in October with a lunch, a luncheon, where we'll have the missionaries stay and we'll get to know them a little bit better and fellowship with them. So that's October. Uh, and the last thing to say about that is I also want to do a big harvest offering. And so in October, I'm just going to ask that you plan now to give above and beyond and that all that comes in in the month of October, that above and beyond designated towards missions, we're just going to take all of that and disperse it to all the missionaries equally. Uh, just a way to bless them and encourage them. So that's October. Uh, and that's all I have for announcements. Uh, Josiah has one about Sing, and then Renee has one also. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Pretty good? Got to get through the awkward transition, right? Um, so I had a couple things to say about Sing, just like two things. We're coming up on the deadline for tickets, so I wanted to make sure you guys know what to expect. The first one is there was a misprint in the bulletin about the cost. It's $40. It was printed as $50. So just so you know, it's going to be $40 per person. That is not shareable between you and like a family member. It's got to be per person. 
And the reason for that is we decided not to purchase by number of families attending. We decided to purchase by number of individuals attending. So we got a discounted rate for that. And so that is the first thing, is just that you should expect it to be um, $40 per person. The only other thing I was gonna say is that the tickets are kind of going quickly. So we've sold 20 of the 50 that we purchased. And I really would like to hear from you guys if possible today um, or next week. Just as far as like if you can make it. We're, we need to plan food um, and if we, if all of you come, that would be awesome, but we would need to boost our package and get extra, extra tickets, okay? So that's kind of where we're at. Um, that's all I had for that. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say while I was up here was just a short update on the building. Uh, kind of the stuff you voted on last week or two weeks, was it three weeks ago? It's gone really fast. <laughs> um, we've been working like crazy to get all of those things you voted on put in, into place. Um, we are just waiting on the two cameras. So those of you on the live stream, our streaming quality should improve highly in two weeks. We have two cameras coming in that we just ordered. Everything else is already installed and in place. Spectrum Internet will be here this week to install the new internet, um, and then we'll be ready to go. So I just wanted to let you know that we did the stuff. So <laughs> that's it. So uh, Renee. So I'm here to talk about Pastor Dan and Sharon's retirement party, which is Saturday, September 19th at 11 a.m. We're going to be holding it out back. We have some big tents rented, um, so we'll be able to be out there and hopefully um, please be praying for a beautiful day and we can just be comfortable out there. There will be a service at 11 with a meal to follow. We are asking that people RSVP by September 1st, so on the round table back there where you're leaving your offering and the water bottles are. There is a, a sign-up sheet, so that will just help us prepare for food and having adequate seating. And then there are two other things that you can do to help us. Number one is there is a little table right outside the office there with the nice decorations above it, and I've put a tote there, and we're asking that people put photographs in there. We're going to make a video um, to show at the event and then to, to pass on to Pastor Dan and Sharon. So if you would put your photos in there, just make sure you label them. We'll, we'll get them scanned in for the video and then we'll make sure they get back to you. But um, the more pictures we can have of them across the 38 years, the better. And then the second thing that we are doing is we're putting together a scrapbook. So again, on that back table, there are some cardstock papers and we're asking every family to take one and to decorate this in some way to show appreciation. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to be a scrapbooker. It can be a, a poem, a song, a card, a special memory, a picture, um, something that your children do. Um, but we're going to then put them all in uh, nice plastic sleeves and in a binder for Pastor Dan and Sharon as, as a, a, a gift for them for that occasion. So um, again, sign up. We need photos. And if you could work on making something for the scrapbook. Thank you. Let's go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are the Almighty One, the Sovereign One who rules and reigns over all things. Uh, you ordain all things uh, in eternity past. Nothing surprises you. All things are moving forward according to your plan and to your purpose. 
Lord, we thank you that you are this most high almighty one who sets up kings, you set up kingdoms, you determine their beginning and their end. Uh, and for us individually, you, you write down the number of our days before there's even one of them, Lord. You, you are the sovereign one. Uh, no mistakes, uh, no, uh, no error, uh, no slip-ups, uh, no sleeping at the wheel, Lord. We know that you are the great, almighty, sovereign Father of the universe. And Lord, how this encourages us. Lord, if that were, were not true, we would have every reason to panic, every reason to have anxiety, every reason to be depressed and discouraged and just be miserable people. But Lord, because of who you are, the Almighty One, we have every reason not to panic, every reason not to be anxious, every reason to trust you, and every reason to uh, put, put our hands mightily into the work. For Lord, we know that our labor is not in vain. For you are the sovereign God and you are on the move for your glory and for the good of your people. And so, Lord, we praise you for this. We thank you for this, this, this pillow to, to lay our heads on at night and this, this truth to sustain us throughout the days and, and this, this truth to anchor us as we uh, watch the news and, and hear about uh, many things that uh, otherwise alarm us. Lord, we just praise you for who you are, and I ask you to give, give to each one of us this morning just a powerful reminder that you are the God of the impossible, uh, that you are the God who does all things well. You are the God who works all things after the purpose of your will, and that nothing falls through the cracks. Not one of us, Lord, fall through the cracks, but that you care for us, and you love us, and you preserve us, and you've given us your spirit, and you've given us your word, and you've given us one another, that we might walk the walk, that we might be worthy, walking worthily of you to the praise and glory of your name. And Lord, it is all about your praise and glory. It's not about us, it's about your kingdom. But Lord, we are amazed by your grace, that in your sovereignty you've chosen to make us a part of your kingdom, and that you want to work through us to, uh, to do the one anothering and to uh, be spreading the gospel. And, and Lord, <clears throat> to be making disciples who make disciples. And we just can't praise you enough for this grace. We, we, don't, we don't understand it, but we, we thank you for it. And we thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices. You haven't left us to kind of figure it out on our own. But you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. Such amazing truth, Lord. May, may these truths just encourage us so much this morning. And may they help us to, to go out throughout the week to labor faithfully for you. And Lord, we thank you so much for each individual member of Orangeville Baptist Church and just the work that you're <clears throat> doing in, in each one of our hearts and our lives. Uh, we thank you so much for the great meeting last week with the nine community leaders. And we thank you for each one of those individuals. Uh, and the way how they're at work uh, to help those who are in need in our community. Lord, we pray for our church as, as we're at this, this moment in the midst of, of COVID and, and a few other just major things going on in our, in our community and in our country, that Lord, at this time, uh, that we would just be thinking uh, of one another for a time like this to be reaching more people with the gospel, that, that this is not a time to be inactive, uh, this is not a time to be uh, scared or worried. This is not a time to, to be neglecting you. But Lord, this, this is a prime time for us to shine like stars in the sky. 
This is a, a prime time for us to have a salt and light influence for, for you, Lord, that this is the time for strategic activity, for your namesake, for your glory. Lord, there are so many who are lost and looking for help and looking for hope. And Lord, we have it. We, we have it in you. Lord, help us not to, to keep that to ourselves, but Lord, to, uh, to be, again, just be full of strategic initiatives and, and guide us as a church as we think about how we can be loving our community with the love of Christ, how we can be uh, making the most impact for your glory, as effective as we can be for your sake, for your kingdom, for your Son, whom we love so much. And Lord, help us also in our individual lives not to be given over to complaining, uh, not to be bitter, not to be angry. Lord, help us to be countercultural. Help us to be full of joy because our eyes are fixed on you. Help us to be full of thanksgiving uh, at, what, at who you are and what you're seeking to accomplish in the small things and, and, and the big things, Lord. Uh, help, help, help us to put to death any complaining that might be on our hearts and our lips. And Lord, we... Uh, think also of uh, just this Membership Matters class. We thank you for all who have, have signed up for that and plan to attend it, Lord. And, and Lord, we just pray that this would be a, a great boost for the church, that each one of us have, as members would be, uh, would be lovingly serving one another, praying for one another, uh, using our spiritual gifts, uh, that not one of us would be sitting on the, on the sidelines, so to speak, but that we would all be actively engaged in the ministry, lo loving each other, being patient with each other, forgiving each other as you have forgiven us. <clears throat> and Lord, we pray for our local schools, uh, school officials, teachers, uh, the students who are, who are going back to school in just a matter of weeks. We pray for wisdom. Uh, for all of this. We pray for parents who are trying to make that decision on, on what to do, whether to, to send their kids to school or to stay home with their kids. Lord, we just pray that you'd guide and direct them. We pray that you'd keep the kids and the teachers safe. Uh, we pray that there would be much learning going on. And we thank you for all of our school officials and the time they put in uh, for, for helping our kids and educating our kids. We, we thank you for each one of them. And Lord, we thank you for each one of our local elected officials. Uh, and we just pray for your rich blessing upon them. And we, of course, thank you for this country and those whom you have established an authority over us, uh, not just locally, but at Capitol Hill. We pray that they would be doing what's right in your sight, uh, that they would make decisions based upon what your word says, not what popular opinion says. And I pray that you'd help us as citizens of, of both your kingdom and this earthly kingdom just to know how to walk that line, how, how to be wise during this time, how to shine as lights during this time. And Lord, we think of the world in which we live, and in particular this morning, I lift up to you Beirut, uh, still uh, kind of reeling from the, the blast that happened a few days ago. We pray for those who have lost their loved ones, uh, that you would comfort them. Uh, we pray for just the shock of it all, that your church would rise up at this time, uh, and that uh, you would build your kingdom through this, uh, and that those in authority in Beirut, in Lebanon, uh, that you'd help them to, to, to act quickly, act smoothly, act rightly, uh, and that they'd be able to restore as many families uh, and hurting lives as possible. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the nations. You're not just the God of Israel, uh, but Lord, you're the God of all the nations. And you right now are building your kingdom. It is increasing all around the globe. And we pray for the spread of your kingdom all around the world. And we thank you for uh, the offering of money and for all those who have been giving faithfully. 
Help us to use this money that's given in a way that is in accordance with your word and is, is used by you to spread and build and further your kingdom. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you would, please turn with me to the book of Luke. And this morning we're looking at verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And God's word says this to us this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the reading of God's perfect word. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we are making our way through Luke. And according to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the Gospel of Luke was written so that you and I may know the truth, and so that you and I may be grounded in the faith. And in order to help us be grounded in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke begins his Gospel at the very beginning. And so last week we looked at uh, the, the birth annunciation of John the Baptist. And this morning we'll be looking at the announcement of Jesus that comes to Mary. These are what are known as the infancy narratives. And in these infancy narratives, there is a tremendous parallelism that I want to take a moment to point out to you. Remember, again, back in, in Luke 1, verses 2 and 3, that Luke said he wants to write in an orderly way. And I, I want to point out this rich parallelism because it brings out that orderly manner in which he wrote, uh, the style in which he wrote, but it also does a few other things for us. So, so take a moment with me and just consider this parallelism between the announcement of John the Baptist being born and the announcement of Jesus to be born. In both of these accounts, in both of these infancy accounts, announcements, God is on the move to fulfill his promises. 
In fact, uh, look at verse 26. For it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. God is on the move. God is taking initiative. He is acting in history. In, in both accounts, uh, the one we looked at last week, the one we're looking at this morning, in both accounts, the parents are introduced. In both accounts, it's the same angel Gabriel. Gabriel's very busy. Uh, and last week, if his message was on the scale of eight to nine of being unbelievable, then, then this message that he brings to Mary is off the charts in unbelievable, right? Uh, it's, it's an amazing message. In both accounts, uh, both are troubled. Zechariah is very troubled by, by the announcement and the appearance of the angel, and so is Mary. Both are told not to be afraid. Both births are associated with the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, John the Baptist has said that he'll be full of the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. And what we see in this text is that Jesus, the birth, the conception, will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Luke is the theologian of the Holy Spirit. In both of these passages, the angel gives the name for the Son, and in both, the angel states that the Son will be great. In both, a sign is given, and in both accounts, a woman who, humanly speaking, had no chance of ever having children, have a child. That's very rich parallelism, parallelism that Luke sets up. He does that to serve a couple of purposes. One, he's trying to show you uh, how the, their destinies of John the Baptist and Jesus, how they dovetail together in accordance with God's plan. He's also trying to show you that, yeah, John the Baptist is great. Jesus, he's greater. John the Baptist will be born of the priest, right, from Zechariah. Jesus is the Son of God. Right? If John the Baptist is this great, how much greater is Jesus for whom he is preparing the way? So as much as there's that parallelism that's trying to set up those ideas, there's also uh, some stark differences. One of those differences is this. Zechariah hears the message from the angel and doubts. Mary hears the message of the angel and believes. Zechariah, because he doubts, is disciplined. He loses his voice. Mary, because she believes, is richly blessed. But there's another difference also, another contrast between those, those two accounts, and it is this. Zechariah is a priest serving God in the temple. Mary is living in a small, obscure Nowheresville village known as Nazareth. Do you remember what's said about Nazareth? Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's Nowheresville. You expect to meet God in the temple, but what is an angel doing out in the sticks? Right? What's the angel up to? What is more, Mary is most likely a very young teenager. We know that because she's betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal, in, in, in the Jewish custom of marriage, uh, marriage has two stages. The first stage is betrothal, and Mary is betrothed to Joseph. This first stage would usually last roughly a year. It was legally binding. Uh, sexual contact was considered adultery, and this con engagement could not be broken but through divorce. That's, that's what betrothal is. And the average age for betrothal for the girl was to be 12 or 13 years old. 
And so Mary is probably 12 or 13 years old. So what is an angel doing in the sticks talking to a poor young teenager? We don't expect this. We don't expect it. Uh, Kent Hughes says, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Riken comments, it is doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person to greet anywhere in Israel. It's pretty astounding to think about. And that's the point I want to emphasize this morning, is simply this, that God can use anyone to accomplish his purpose, and that Mary is an ordinary person, just like you and I. And God wants to use her to fulfill his purposes. Think about it. God places the most precious and beloved being of the whole universe, his eternal and only begotten son, in the care of an inexperienced teenager in an obscure location. What a risk. There's no hospitals nearby. There's no doctor on call. Uh, Next week, uh, Lord willing, when we come back to this text, we're going to consider the significance of the virgin birth. But this morning, I just want us to see how we are like Mary. Ever thought about that before? How we are like Mary? And how if God can use her, he can use anyone to accomplish his purpose. So let's dig into the text. Number one, Mary experienced the grace of God. How are we we like Mary? Well, Mary experienced the grace of God. And Gabriel's greeting is oozing with grace. Uh, Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And quite literally, that's grace, O graced one. Graced, O graced one, the Lord is with you. And then notice verse 30, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So when it says in verse 28 that she is the favored one, and in verse 30 that she has found favor with God, those are expressions of divine grace. Favor is just another word for grace, of God's gracious choice of someone through whom he plans to do something uh, uniquely special. So just review in your mind with me a few situations where we find this. Remember Noah. And we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, that Noah found favor with God. And then through Noah, the ark is built and his family is rescued from the flood. Gideon finds favor with the Lord and is used by, by the Lord to overthrow the Midianites. And then in in another very dark time of Israel's history, a lot of wickedness and spiritual complacency and disobedience, the Lord shows favor to Hannah. And Hannah means favor, grace. God shows favor or grace to Hannah by saying to her, you're going to give birth to a son whose name is Samuel, the mighty prophet of the Lord. Now, with that in mind, in the Old Testament, those three significant movements where we see the Lord coming to these people and saying, you have found favor with the Lord. Now we come to this text, verse 28 and 30, and this young teenage girl is being told, behold, you have found favor with the Lord. She is a recipient of the sovereign grace of God. Now, 
There's a few, few things we've got to ask about that. Does, does that mean she's uniquely holy? Does that mean she is uniquely worthy? Does the fact that she's found favor, does that mean that she's on a whole different level than other human beings? I don't think there's any suggestion in the Bible that any of those things are true. What the Bible is saying is not that Mary was uniquely holy or uniquely worthy, but that she is the recipient of the grace of God. That's her own testimony, by the way. If you look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, she says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy, mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Her testimony is, this is God's grace. God has been merciful to me. Merciful to me. So to say it again, thinking about these verses and the fact that Mary found favor with God. It is the fact that she's been chosen to bear God's Son. It's not because she's particularly holy or worthy or because she merited the privilege, but it was because God in His grace sovereignly came to her and bestowed that mercy upon her. Now, I'm, I've said that about ten different ways. I'm spending a little bit of time on that because a lot of people go wrong here. In particular, the Roman Catholic Church goes very, very wrong here. The Roman Catholic Church teaches with these verses, verses 28 and 30, that the grace is not grace that she receives, but it is grace that she bestows. There's a big difference. They, they would teach that God has made her a source of grace for sinners down the ages. And, and consider the song Ave Maria. We're familiar with that song, I'm sure. The first couple of stanzas for Ave Maria are very, very biblical. In fact, they're almost pure scripture. Because they go like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb. That, that's pure scripture. But then in the 15th century, they added a third stanza. And the third stanza that is still sung today says this. Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of death. In other words, she bestows grace. There is no trace of that in the Bible. Mary received the grace of God. She is not a source of grace to sinners. She does not dispense the grace of God. That's going beyond what the Bible teaches. Her great calling to give birth to Jesus was undeserved grace. And that grace is not for Mary alone. That grace is a pattern for all Christians. If God is going to use me, then it's all because of God's grace. We do not do God a favor when we come to Him and serve Him. Lurking in the hearts of, of, of so many is this kind of thinking that says, if I go to church, 
and, and read my Bible and pray that I'm doing God a favor. But once you become a Christian, you realize how full of baloney that is. And the longer you are a Christian, the more amazed you are that God puts up with you. So how are we like Mary? Simply by this way. Mary was the recipient of God's grace. And so are you if you are a Christian. In verse 30, that phrase where it says, found favor, that word, found favor, the, the Greek word for that, is found in one other place in the whole Bible. And that's found in Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6. And Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 says this, In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Why did he do this? Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So how are we, how are we like Mary? We're, we're like Mary in this way. Just as Mary was preordained by God from among the thousands of Israel to be the special recipient of God's favor, so you and I who have been chosen by God's grace and foreordained by his grace are recipients of his grace which he freely gives us in Christ. Mary is a recipient of grace by, by God's sovereign choice. We are recipients of grace by God's sovereign choice. We should praise him for this. We should praise him without end for this. We should all sing with John Newton, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. If God gave us what we deserved, it would be a Christless eternity in hell. But God in eternity past, in his rich and sovereign grace, has chosen to save you, to redeem you, to adopt you as his son and daughter, to put you in his family. That's grace. That's grace. That's how we're like Mary. Well, Mary also believed the power of God. We read in verse 29, because of the angel's greeting, that she is greatly troubled. Uh, 29 says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And that word greatly troubled is a much stronger word than the one found back with Zechariah what is, when Gabriel visited him. It means to be very, very perplexed to be greatly confused, even greatly agitated. And notice, though, looking at verse 29, what it is she's troubled by or she's perplexed by. Zechariah seemed to be perplexed by the sudden appearance of the angel. But Mary, it says in verse 29, is perplexed at the saying. The words that the angel speak to her confuse her. She, she's greatly troubled by them, perplexed by them, confused by them. Not, not so much the appearance of the angel, but at what the angel says. So I love what Mary does. It says she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary's a thinker. She's, she's not given to hysteria. She, she ponders. She, she reflects. She kind of stirs them around in her mind. She tries to find a meaning to them. And, and then the angel comforts her, right? And in verse 30, the angel says... Do not be afraid, Mary. And then he explains to her why, or I should say, sorry, what God's gracious choice of her means. And it means a few things. Number one, looking at verse 31, it means, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
What does God's grace mean in her life? It means she will bear a son named Jesus. Now that was actually a very, very common name in that day and age. There are many who had the name Jesus. It reaches all the way back to the Old Testament name Joshua, which in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which means salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. But with Mary's son, and, and her son to be named Jesus, this name takes on a very special meaning. A whole, a whole more powerful and important meaning. Now, with, with this son to be born to Mary, the world would know for the first time the true meaning of salvation. Consider Matthew one twenty one, where, where the angel says to Mary in Matthew one twenty one, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why should he be named Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. It means salvation from our sins. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we read about Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I've said to you before, and I'll say it again, I think that word lost is one of the worst horrific words in the Bible. There is nothing worse than being lost. Apply the word lost to anything, and it spells tragedy. I've lost my health. I've lost purpose. It's a tragic word. But as tragic as it is to lose your health or to lose your purpose, it doesn't even come close to to being lost spiritually. Because being lost spiritually means to be without God, to be without hope, to be without forgiveness, to be without peace, to be without life. It's to be lost eternally. That word lost is a horrible word. There are no second chances after death. There are countless second chances in in, in the here and now, but none after death. So lost for all of eternity. Lost is an awful word. So we praise God who formed a search and rescue mission. He, He sends his angel Gabriel to Mary to tell her that she will conceive in her womb and bear a son and he will be named Jesus because he is the one true Savior. He will come to seek and to save the lost. He will save their people from their sin. And so 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm a great sinner. And he's a greater savior. No matter your sin, he can redeem you, forgive you, cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. Just like we sang before, There's no other name like the name Jesus. Another way to understand this grace is that this Jesus will be great. It says in verse uh, 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Now remember, John the Baptist was described as great in the sight of the Lord. But here, all it says about Jesus is he will be great. No, no qualifier, no additions, no, no limit. 
The, the word great means exceedingly mighty or extraordinary. And just think about that for a moment with me. Jesus will be great in his love, great in his compassion, great in his teaching, great in his healing. Above all, he would be great in his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. He'll be great by his resurrection. When on the third day he rises from the dead, he'll be great in having defeated death. He'll be great in his exaltation to the throne of God, preserving the church, answering the prayers of his people, saving sinners, building his kingdom, bringing all things to their, to their end. He will be great when he returns a second time to raise his people from the dead and to live and reign with them for eternity. He will be great in the songs of the redeemed. As, as more and more, as each passing moment in eternity, we know more and more the fullness of God and experience in our hearts the increasing depths of his love and joy and peace. He is great without limit, without qualifier, without addition. Jesus is great. He is also the Son of the Most High. As it goes on to say in verse 32, He will be called the Son of the Most High. We encounter that term, Most High, a lot in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, it's, it's kind of fun to say. It's El Elyon. It means Most High. El is a word for God. Elyon means High, Most High. He is the Most High God. It basically means to be sovereign over all. If he's, if he's most high, he's above all. He rules. He has authority. As the most high in Deuteronomy 32.8, we read, He gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind. He fixed the borders of the people. He delivered David in his time of urgent need. David writes in 2 Samuel 22.14 that the Lord thundered from heaven and the most high uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. He's the Most High, who rescues from your enemy. It's a favorite title for God in the, in the book of Daniel. And so in, in Daniel 4.17, we read about the Most High, that he rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. And then we read also in Daniel 5.21 that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. So you see from that again and again and again, and, and by the way, if you want to read through Psalms, and on Wednesday nights, Merlin's been, Pastor Merlin's been going through the Psalms, you'll find that phrase, that title, Most High, over and over and over and over and over. And I hope what you see from, from that title of, of God is that it's this term of his majesty, of his authority. And so Mary is told to her baby, this son who will be great, will be the son of the Most High. And what does that mean? Why is that significant to be the son of the Most High? It's because a son bears his father's qualities. Right? A son is everything the father is. It's a way of saying, Jesus is God. He is equal with God in every way. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is authoritative. 
Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is almighty. He's not still that baby in the manger. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And that is the last thing that the angel says about this Jesus, that he's a king. Verse 32, The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now if you want to understand the Bible well, and that's my heartbeat for myself. I want to grow my understanding of the Word of God, and I want you guys to grow an understanding of God's Word. And if you want to understand God's Word well, you need to understand it is structured by covenants. If you want to grasp and get a good understanding of the Bible, you need to have a good theology of covenants. And we don't think about that enough or talk about covenants enough, but God always deals with His people through covenants. And I'm saying that because when we read in verse 32 or 31 that the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, you need to immediately think in your mind, oh, that's the Davidic covenant. That's the promise that God made to David through Samuel that he will have a son who will rule and reign forever. And, and to hear this, I'm sure Mary's eyes just go huge, right? She, she knows this, and we know she knows this because of the song that she'll sing a few verses later. But, but listen to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. This is what Samuel says to David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. In other words, when you die, David, God says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. And Second Samuel seven fourteen, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. That's Second Samuel seven twelve to sixteen. Does that sound familiar? For Luke 1, 32 and 33, the angel is saying to Mary, the time has come. This is a huge step forward in God keeping his promise of the Davidic covenant. It's amazing, amazing truth. And we, and we just sang about this. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but there is one kingdom that will never, ever fall. There is one kingdom that will stand forever. And this kingdom is ruled by King Jesus. And his rule and his reign has no term limits. And his rule and his reign will never be up for vote. Jesus will be and is a sovereign ruler who will be immortal, invincible, unconquerable. And his kingdom will be vastly different than the kingdom of America or, or Rome as in this day and age for, for Mary. His rulership will be very, very different. Why? Because it tells us in verse 35 that he will be holy. Holy means blameless, upright, without defect, without blemish. The Bible teaches there are two kingdoms the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of self and the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of sin and the kingdom of holiness. And this text is a time to stop and think, which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you putting your hope in? Mary gave birth to a son named Jesus, the great savior, the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. 
Do you believe in him? Do you know him? Are you worshiping him? Are you serving him? If not, you're in the wrong kingdom. You're in a kingdom that's, that's going to be destroyed and crushed and ruined. But there's good news. If you recognize your sin and confess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you submit to him as king of life, then God will transfer you into the kingdom of his son. Colossians 1.13 says about Christ, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is who Jesus is. Now Mary is puzzled by all of this, as you and I would be. And so she says in verse 34, How will this be? I'm a virgin. You know, I'm, I'm betrothed. I'm not married. Joseph and I, I, we haven't slept together. We have no sexual relations. How can this be? Mary was was a godly teenager saving herself from marriage. She was preserving her sexual purity as a prize, as, as every woman should. So she had to ask, how will this be? And that's very, very different from Zechariah. Because Zechariah doubted. He wanted proof. He wanted confirmation. Mary believes, she just wants a little clarification. So watch how the angel responds in verses 35 through 37. And, and next week we're, we're going to spend a lot of time on these verses, uh, considering the virgin birth and its importance. But for now, let, let's, let's read them here. Verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And now the angel gives Mary a sign. She didn't ask for one, but, but she gives her one. Remember, Zechariah asked for one, and he was kind of like, I'll give you one, right? But here, it's, it's different. Mary doesn't ask for it, but in grace, the angel gives one, where it says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. And you've got to love verse 37, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. The impossibility in Mary's life was overshadowed by the power of God. A young, poor, ordinary, simple 12 or 13 year old girl, and on the other hand, the Almighty God. That's the answer to her puzzling. The answer to her puzzlement is the power of God. So how are we like Mary? Man, do we not need to be reminded this morning that nothing is impossible with God? How are we like Mary? We're we're like Mary in the fact that we need to be reminded that nothing is too hard for God. His power knows no limits. Jeremiah 32, 17. I I love this, this verse where it says, Ah, Lord God! It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Or or Job, who after hearing from God in Job 42.2, he says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We need this reminder this morning because maybe, maybe you're in a situation, you've gotten yourself in a situation, and you wonder how anything good can possibly come from this. And the Word of God answers you, the power of God. And, and you're saying, how can I do this? How, how can I do that? And, and the answer is, the power of God. 
The answer to your puzzlement is the power of God. With Him, nothing is impossible. And so, so maybe you think, I've sinned too much. God could never save me. He could never even want to save me. And, and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Andrew, if you knew the things that I have done and the things that I have thought, and, and you can stop right there because the answer is nothing is impossible with God. And maybe there's a sin in your life you've been struggling with for years. Maybe a sin like anger or pride or loss and you've been struggling with it and you feel so defeated by it and beaten down by it and you wonder if you'll ever have victory over it. And God says to you, nothing is impossible with me. Perhaps you think your situation is beyond saving, but nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you've convinced yourself that your husband will never change. Or, or your wife will never change. Nothing is impossible with God. You may be in an impossible job situation. You may be faced with a pile of debt. You may be worried about a child that, that's gone astray or, or a parent or you're longing for courage to face a trial. You're, you just seem overwhelmed with life. Whatever it is, Nothing is impossible with God. Amen, Orangeville Baptist Church. Amen? Do you feel lost and lonely? Is your marriage in meltdown? Are you too tired to go on? Nothing is impossible with God. If He can reach all the way down from the throne of heaven to the body of a 12-year-old girl, if he can enter time from eternity, if the infinite can become an infant, what can he do for you? God is saying to you today, right now, I never put my children in situations where my power can't keep them. I'm going to say that again. I never put my children in situations where my power can't keep them. Nothing is impossible with him. You can handle the responsibilities of being a mom and dad. You can cope with sickness. You can care for your loved one who maybe has an incurable disease. You can cope with the pressures of that new job or the lack of a job. You can praise God in this storm. You can fight the good fight because the God of the virgin birth makes all things possible. Isn't this amazing truth? Don't we need to hear that this morning? Or how about last Sunday? Let's put it in the context of that. And the nine community leaders who were here and shared with us uh, all the ways that we can be helping and be involved. And as you heard, the many opportunities, and there were a lot of opportunities, right? As, as you heard all those, all those opportunities, I wonder, did you get discouraged and start to think to yourself, how are we ever going to do any of this? Or did you maybe start to get excited and think, I can't wait to see what the God of the impossible is going to do through this. When I listened last week, there was a resounding theme. Uh, as I kind of thought through it a little bit this past week, I have some more thinking to do through it, as, as I know you guys are doing yourself. But the theme that kind of came across to me just, just a few days ago was that this theme of, hey, we need help. We need help because we have limited resources. And we have limited money. 
We have limited manpower. We need volunteers. We don't have enough resources to meet all the need. And then my heart starts to sing. Because nothing is impossible with God. He has unlimited resources. We have this opportunity before us to jump into some of these things with great enthusiasm and confidence because our God is the God of the virgin birth. So I don't look at all that was said last week and think to myself, how are we ever going to do this? I, I look at it all and I think to myself, there's a great need for help. People are looking for help and hope. People have, have lost hope. People are confused. People are perplexed. And this is great because God offers gospel hope and help. God answers our confusion with his power. This is an awesome opportunity. Are we going to rise up to it in the power of the Most High, in the power of the Holy Spirit? And so I can't even begin to express the enthusiasm and excitement that I have for next Sunday to hear all the brainstorming that, that you guys have come up with. And I hope that what we can do with each one of them is put right next to them Luke 1.37. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Some of us believe it. <laughs> Number three, Mary submitted to the will of God. She experienced God's grace. She believed the power of God. She submits to the will of God. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is an amazing verse. And just take a moment to put yourself in Mary's shoes, all right? She's been told some pretty out there things. That God in his grace has chosen her. And he's chosen her to conceive a son in her virginity without ever knowing a man. And that this son will be great. The savior of the world. And he will establish a kingdom. An invincible, unconquerable kingdom. That's pretty incredible. What is more... This puts her in a very embarrassing position. I don't know if we think about this enough. There will be a great price for her to pay. No doubt, living in the small town of Nazareth, the rumor mill was busy. Lots of whispers of promiscuity. No doubt, her family disowned her. She also had to face the misunderstanding of Joseph. And, and, and we know the story and, and we tend to overlook the possibility sometimes of what Joseph was thinking and the possibility of divorce. Reality is, Mary had no idea what Joseph would do. She had no idea how he would respond. Would he get angry? Would he walk out? Would he humiliate her? Would he divorce her? And then all of her family and friends, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. And Mary is, is starting to show a bump. <laughs> and she's still betrothed. And maybe she shares a little bit of this with you. What would you think? What would you say? She has an uphill battle. Mary, in a social and cultural sense, is about to have her life destroyed. 
Mary, as a very young girl, is pregnant, she's unmarried, and facing the possibility of society's rejection, shame, and judgment. There are a lot of reasons why she shouldn't and couldn't accept this. She could have complained, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not ready for children. <laughs> I'm 12 or 13 years old, I'm not, I'm not ready for children. I have other plans. Or how about this one we like? I want to avoid the appearance of evil. But what does she say? I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You need to know the word servant in the Greek is doule, uh, and it means slave. She says, I'm a slave, I'm a, handma a handmaiden of God. A slave has no rights of ownership. She's saying she's the property of God. One, one person I read put it this way. Uh, he writes, As God's doule, or as God's slave, Mary sought no life of her own, no will of her own, no purpose of her own, and no plan of her own. All of her was subject to her loving master. Her every thought and breath and action was subject to the will of her master. In some, the picture of Mary as a bond slave of the Lord is one who is absolutely surrendered and totally devoted to her Lord. Mary understood the Lordship of Christ, and it was not an option. This is what it means to be a Christian. How are we like Mary? How can and how we must be like Mary is we should all be able to say, verse 38. Amen. The problem is we always have our what-ifs and our excuses. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too young. I have my own dreams. There's not enough time. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of what other people might think. I need to focus on my career right now. No, this is, this is too risky. Or what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if they say this? Or what if they don't say this? And what we have to do with all those what ifs and excuses is with Mary, we need to be able to say, do with me as you please. My life is not my own. I'm bought and owned by you. Do with me as you will. If the Lord says, I must go and seek forgiveness, so be it, I will forgive. If God requires me to love my enemies, so be it, I will bless those who persecute me and I will forgive and love my enemies. I recognize I've been blame shifting. I will begin to take responsibility for my actions. I recognize I've been complaining a lot. That's a sin. I must and will replace it with joy and thanksgiving. God requires me to be a submissive wife, or God requires me to be a loving and sacrificial husband. I will learn how. God says all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Therefore, I will not question or complain in the midst of this trial. I will trust him. Things like of that nature. And I think there's a great word for teenagers here. How old is Mary? 12 or 13, so she's kind of like a preteen, right? I just want to say to you this morning, our young adults, our teens, our preteens, and, and any age, but in particular our teenagers this morning, you are not too young to do great things for God. Amen. You are not too young to do hard things for God. There's a great book uh, called The Revolution. It's written by the Harris Brothers. And the whole theme of the book is rebel against low expectations. I think as a world, we look at our teens and often don't have very high expectations. Rebel against those low expectations. 
God can and will do great things through you if you, like Mary, will humble yourself and say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You might think you have nothing to offer or nothing to do, but God wants to accomplish his will through you. Surrender and submit to him. Give up control. Put everything in his hands. Trust him. Live for him. Say to God, whatever the cost, whatever the misunderstanding that comes my way, Lord, I'm your slave. Have thine own way, Lord. I love that song. Have thine own way, Lord. Have your own way with my life, with my marriage, with my kids, with my job, with my church, with my all, with my everything. Have your own way. Have your own way. So Mary experienced the grace of God. She believed the power of God. She submitted to the will of God. Let us ask you that question. How are you like Mary? Do you know the grace of God? Do you believe in the power of God? Are you willing to say with her, do with me as you will? Let it be to me according to your word. Are you willing and able to say that this morning? All God's people say, Amen. Amen. We're going to close with uh, the song that says, Take my life and let it be. Uh, I think a perfect, perfect ending to uh, this, this text. So please stand as the worship team leads us.